That was beautiful. We are in John 17 tonight, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, or through 19, as Jesus talks about sanctifying His people, His followers. So I encourage you to turn there, John 17, His prayer, and this is the part where He prays for His followers, His disciples. 15 through 18. Or 19. And stand in God's honor, please, as I read. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to once again come together, Lord, to put our hearts toward you, to worship and love you, and to look at your truth, Father. Thank you that you truly, by your power, have set us apart. And that came by the work you did, which set you apart as Savior, as hope for us. So, Father, as we look at your truth, just remind us of your divine protection and your divine mission that you give us. You don't protect us to sit on a shelf. You protect us to be your messengers of love and hope. And so, Father, just speak to our hearts as we look at your word. In your name we pray. Amen. He starts out here, that first verse in verse 15. He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Jesus said, protect them. How does he protect us? As I thought about protection, I thought about a place that protects the gold that we have, a place called Fort Knox that's in Kentucky. And many have said that there's as much steel and concrete uh, possibly as there is gold that's being protected there. It's a massive fortress, a place almost impossible to break into. Not only have they stored gold there, they've stored other uh, valuable artifacts such as the Magna Carta, the Gutenberg Bible, English crown jewels. And on December 26, 1941, they stored there the original Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence until October 1st, 1944, when they were moved to Washington, D.C., where they are guarded now. It it is a place uh, that's safe because it is, is built to be a fortress. It's a vault made of steel plates, steel beams, steel cylinders, steel bands that wrap around everything, and then concrete encases it all. The vault door alone weighs more than 20 tons. And even the President of the United States doesn't have the combination to the vault. To open the door, several staffers must each dial separate combinations that come together to form the whole combination. And then on the outside, there's a sentry posted at the entrance gate and guard box at each corner of the building 
And then there's an imposing steel fence that goes around the property. And then there's other protective devices that are so technologically advanced. I couldn't describe them if I could describe them. But the point is, it is a place that is safe. And what is the point? Something that is valuable. Something that is sacred is put in a place that is safe. And we are precious to God. And His protection, uh, how does He protect us? Uh, Does He lock us away? Does He put us behind walls of steel and concrete? Does He guard us by soldiers? No, in our section of Scripture... He says, Father, you know, protect them by the power of your name. It is the name that you gave me. He says, so that we may be one. So they may be one as we are one. And he says, while I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe. And the ones that you gave me. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. So he doesn't lock us away from the rest of the world by his protection it's not to surround us with these walls of steel and concrete for safety he doesn't put armed guards to protect us from the evil one notice what he says there in verse 15 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world that's not his purpose that's not his prayer there was a time in the old testament His people were a people that were set apart. They were a people that was a holy nation. They were not to become part of the other cultures, but they had a purpose and it was to follow God. It was to be a different type of people. And when they were slaves in Egypt, there was a land that the Jews lived in where they were set apart from the Egyptians. The name of the land was Goshen. For 430 years, there was suffering, there was torture as they were slaves. But they were a people that were not influenced by the ways of the Egyptians because they were placed in their own little territory there. The Egyptians saw them as detestable. God saw them as precious because they were in that land there to, to keep His ways and to follow Him for that 430 years until God would send Moses a deliverer and to set them free. So yeah, in the past He has had a plan there where he set his people actually apart from the rest of the world. But that is not his plan for us. He says, my, my plan is not to take them out of the world. That's, that's not my plan, to, but protect them from the evil one. That, that, was, that was the intent, that, that, that was the prayer that he had, not to physically isolate them from his followers from other people but to keep them separate in their hearts. I mean, there's a part of us, it's like we have our days. God, if you could zip me somewhere, especially here in the winter, where it's cold, maybe a tropical island, and we can just sing praise to you, kumbaya or whatever, and sway back and forth and just have a great time of worship and be pushed away from this world. But that's, uh, that's not His calling. First Peter 2.11, it says, We live as aliens and strangers in this world, in this place. We're in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We're called in Matthew 5.16, it tells us to be salt. It tells us to be light. It tells us that we are to 
have Jesus in us in such a way that we are an influence in a place where there's just darkness, where people can't see, where people make bad decisions, where people leave God out, and there needs to be an influence. And God calls that of His people. So He, he protects us, not so that we can be free from, from harm, but so that we can communicate Jesus to this world that is around us. That, that, that's His plan and that's His ministry. And so He does want us to have a separate heart. Not that we can't relate at all to those who are in the world, but this is not our home. This is not our place. This is, this is not the, the sole quest that we have. We live for a higher home. I remember reading a quote this week from C.S. Lewis where he said, the Christians that made the greatest difference, they aimed not for this world, but for the next world. Those who aimed merely for this world missed the next world. But those who aim for the next world not only will receive that world, but this one as well. And, and that's the way that our God, that's the way that He works. Uh, from Ephesians four seventeen through 20, Paul gives us this warning. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So that's not to be what marks you anymore. God has, has done a work in you that sets you apart. And, and that's what we're talking about this morning is His sanctifying work. What, what, what does it mean to be sanctified? The word literally just means to be set apart. It's a fancy word with a simple meaning. Um, some examples of that. Uh, think of your car. The car vehicle. What a crazy invention. I think about this every once in a while, you know. We sit down in this hunk of metal looking through this thick glass going down the highway at high speeds. And we don't think about how crazy that is. I remember reading years ago, it was so funny, they had an argument when, the, this was back, I think in like the 1800s, where uh, there was a train. You know, there, there was nothing that went faster than a horse. And a guy said, it is not possible for the human body to withstand speeds of 30 miles an hour. You know, it'll just fall apart. Because there was that picture. Now, we can go down the highway at, you know, excessive speeds. You know, matter of fact, in the study here, it said that um, if you have a wreck, say you run into a tree at 55 to 60 miles an hour, it's the equivalent of falling off a seven-story building. You know, that's a, ouch. And so through the years, you know, there have been different ways they've tried to keep us safe in a car, you know, to wear your seatbelts, uh, developing these seatbelts. There's airbags that have been developed. There's these special bumpers uh, as they've worked on the design of the car. I remember years ago um, seeing on NASCAR, there, there was a film that I saw somewhere, a documentary, and they were saying in the early days, many people, these race car drivers, they, they were killed 
Because when they were in a wreck, the car was designed in such a way where it would not give it all, so they would break their necks because of the impact, because the car, did, when it crashed, it didn't buckle, it didn't give in. And so there, but there are all these things now that have been done in, in order to make the car safer. And on top of that, we're set apart while we're in the car from the world, and, and, and hopefully this uh, encompassed metal box that's, that has more safety to it. Um, but what does sanctification do? There, it's, it's meant to keep us safe. These uh, are used to keep us safe. In the dangers of this world, we're not locked away in a closet. We're not walled off from people around us. We're free to be His servants in a damaged world. So how does He set us apart? Well, several things He does. Uh, Romans fifteen sixteen, He sanctifies us by His Holy Spirit. It says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles of the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God sets us apart for Him. He makes His home within us and sets us up to be a people separate. And then the Lord Himself, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 speaks about the sanctifying work of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. In Christ Jesus, called to be holy, to be set apart. And then, of course, when we're saved and we're connected to God our Father... We're connected to His people, to His family. We're added to His church. That's part of His sanctifying work. Um, whether we're part of an, uh, an individual church like Kingsway, but we are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ, we come into His kingdom. It's, it's part of that family and that sanctifying work that we're set apart for that. But the focus here I, I want to look at is in verse 17. In the time we have left of John seventeen seventeen. What a great verse. It says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God, through the power of His Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ, takes His truth, His word, and He sets us apart. He grows us so that we look more like Jesus by the power of His Word. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Set them apart from those that are around them so that they reflect the power of God in Jesus Christ. As the Word of God begins to change and to transform the way that they think and the way that they live in their relationships, that, that God would be at work in His power. Romans 15 verse 4 tells us, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, think about that. God, this book that has been given for us, the testimony that is shared there, everything that was written in the past, everything that has been preserved for us, what is it written for? It said... 
It's written so that we might have endurance, so that we might continue on, so that we might not give up and and just call it quits and and forget about that hope we talked about this morning, that triumphant hope that He gives to us, so that there might be encouragement, endurance, and that there might be encouragement in the Scriptures. As the Scriptures come alive, we see there's hope. In in 2 Timothy 3.16, what a great verse, you know, it says, For all Scripture is God-breathed. I love that. Some translations it says inspired, but I love that. God-breathed. That that this book, the truth of this book, it literally comes from the mouth of God. You know, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and He made everything as He spoke out of His Word. And the power of His Word, all Scripture is God-breathed. And and the verse goes on and says, and it's useful for teaching and for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be fully equipped. Fully equipped to do His work. That, that, that's the power of, of what He does through His Word. Um, psalm 119, 9-11, you know, the, the psalmist says, verse 11, I've hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. Verse 9, before that, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? He says, By living according to your word. There, there's that power that happens through the work of his word. And when we use it correctly, the Bible becomes a sanctifying shield for our hearts. It's, it's at work. Second um, Samuel twenty two thirty one. As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Think about it. As for God, His way is perfect. You want to go the perfect way? Spend time with God. Hunger for God. Um, Long for God. Listen in tune with God, for His way is perfect, and His Word is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. He is a, a sanctifying shield. And and we can trust Him. During the Vietnam War, the story of a man, he had visited a Christian bookstore, and on the shelf was a New Testament entitled, The Soldier's Shield. And uh, this New Testament was different only in the back cover because the back cover had a stainless steel plate in the back cover. And soldiers uh, would take that and many of them would take that little New Testament and they would place it in the shirt pocket that was just above the heart as protection. Who knows how many soldiers' lives were spared as you know gunshot hit that still play instead of going into their heart. Now, obviously, it doesn't work if they had it in their back pocket or they had it in a different pocket besides the pocket that went over their heart or if they kept it in their locker. But the importance of it was that it had to be near the heart. And for God's Word to be effective, it's not a disconnect. You don't put your Bible next to your bed or or on your kitchen table and, and it's not the kind of sacred book that... You know, you just put your hand on it, you know, and, and all it is, I promise to tell the 
the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and, and that's all you use it for. It's a book that has to be opened. And it's a book that, that has to go through us and in us as it works out of us. We have to get before His presence there. And it becomes that sanctifying shield as we become in tune with the music of the Master. As, as we walk to His beautiful music and as we follow Him, um, that work, that sanctifying work, works. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think of the words that fall into our culture that, that aren't true but have mis- been misconstrued. Uh, you know, this is not the time of year. Usually it's 4th of July as we talk about separation of church and state and, and how in our culture it's gotten all twisted around uh, where there are those who teach that the phrase separation of church and state means that the church is to have no say in the government or in public life. That it's just to be something done in private. And yet, if you look at where this church came from, that was not the purpose at all. As a matter of fact, that phrase, separation of church and state, is not found in the Constitution. It's not found in our government documents. It was never meant to be something that kept the church out of the influence of the people who live in the United States of America. That wasn't the goal at all. As a matter of fact, the goal was just the opposite. The goal was to make sure that the government of the United States did not control how people worship God. Did not tell people, you have to go to this church or you have to believe this certain truth that I believe that you don't have the right or or the freedom to believe as you choose to believe. And in that early part of the life of this country... um, where that phrase came from was a letter that was actually sent to Danbury Baptist Church by Thomas Jefferson, where he was saying, don't worry, we understand that the government's place is not to tell people how to worship God. That's not our place. And so he was actually sending a, a word of confidence to say, we're not, our goal is not to get rid of the church, because back then, even if they didn't have a strong belief in God, they believed they needed him. And and so that was a that was a key. Um, matter of fact, two days after Thomas Jefferson wrote that letter, he rode his horse down Pennsylvania Avenue to attend worship services that were being held in the House of Representatives. In fact, the House of Representatives hosted several different denominations in the chamber for nearly seventy years until the mid eighteen hundreds. When Jefferson became president, he even loaned out the treasury building to a congregation for worship because there weren't enough buildings in Washington, D.C. at the time for worship. Can you imagine this day and time for one of the government buildings to say, yeah, why don't the guys, you need a place to meet for church? Come in here. But but that that was the heart of that time. That, That was the heart of that truth because they were seeking God. They wanted to be changed by the truth of his word. God wants to change us. He wants to set us apart. To be set apart is just to it's just to be different, and we're to be different in the power of Jesus Christ. And He works as we're set apart. I, I close with this illustration. We've heard it before. Uh, this is back from October twenty first, nineteen forty two. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker and six men a plane with him crashed in the Pacific Ocean. They had three life rafts 
which they connected together, and they were out in the ocean for 21 days. And, of course, over that course of time, there were several times they thought they were going to starve to death. They thought they were going to die of thirst. But it was amazing how God worked. Early in those 21 days, Private Johnny Bartek, who was a dedicated Christian, pulled out a little New Testament, and he was reading in the New Testament. And the other guy said, uh, Johnny, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm a Christian, and every day I take out my New Testament, and I try to read a portion of Scripture. So I'm having my devotions. And I said, well, why don't you let us join in? We need that too. And so they started having devotions. And one day they came across Matthew chapter 6, starting down uh, at verse 31. <laughs> so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, they begin to pray. Okay, God, you said don't worry about what we're going to eat, but we don't have any food. And God, we need clean water. And so, in their prayers, a crazy kind of thing happened. Eddie Rickenbacker was sitting in the raft, and a bird landed on his head. <laughs> and so, he said... Grab that bird. So they grabbed the bird and they killed the bird and they managed to survive by eating the bird. And then they took part of the insides of the bird and used it for fishing bait and were able to catch some fish. And then when that ran out, it was crazy things. There were a couple of times where fish actually jumped into their rafts to provide them with food. When they thought they wouldn't have any water to drink, it would rain and they would collect the rainwater in the rafts and so they would have water to drink. And so God took care of them in those 21 days until they were rescued. Um, he says here, uh, because of what Eddie saw God do in response to their Bible reading and the prayer of James Whitaker, uh, the one who wrote the book that this accounts in, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He later wrote, I don't think there was a man of us who didn't thank God for that little khaki-covered book. He said, it led us to prayer, and prayer led us to safety. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, God, we want to be set apart, Lord. Not that we're going to be problem-free, because that's never the goal. But the goal is you want to make us into the image of God, to conform us to look like Jesus, and to make a difference by proclaiming your kingdom that this world is not all there is and there's life that's meaningful, that's abundant. And so, Father, you set us apart for that. And, Lord, you prayed to protect us from the evil one because the last thing he wants are for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and to know the hope of salvation and strength for daily living. And I pray, Father, that as you seek to protect us from the evil one, that we won't sit on a shelf. But, Lord, that you'll give us a heart for people that are around us. And that you'll show us, Lord, what to do. What our calling is. Where we're to go. Who we're to be. Father, that you would let your word just seek the depths of our hearts and to 
than to change us, Lord, and to work in us, Lord. As you say in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates and divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God, may you do that kind of work to set us apart, Lord. This is a time where, Father, we want to choose to follow you, to obey you. And, and I don't know what you're up to among us, Lord. How do you want to set us apart, Lord? Is there a task you want of us? Um, is there some way you want to draw us closer to you, something that we need to stop, or something we need to start? Um, Father, show us what that is. If we need to come to the altar to pray, if, if we need to decide where we are. Um, Father, whatever you may be about, I just pray that we'd respond. Thank you for a chance tonight to look at your word. And Father, may we just follow you, whatever that may be. In your name we pray. Amen.